For John Henry, painting and storytelling seemed to go hand in hand. The setting he returned to over and over again was Kelly. The characters within his frames were his friends, neighbours and family members. The plots were told through everyday moments. The delight of a birthday party, the quiet of a sleeping nephew, the serenity of three women reading and sewing together. Five of the twelve poems written by Christine De Luca for the exhibition were inspired by paintings displayed in this room, all of which we feel combine the five themes of the exhibition – light, identity, family, femininity and home. A peaceful art. I've crept down the old stone stair of the tower, sketchbook in hand, slipped in unnoticed. The scene is one of concentration, the clock, the hourglass stopped. Louise is scattering her flowers of summer spent across a bedspread, stitch by stitch. Laurie's painting of autumn, almost a reflection, sits above mother's head. No spinning or winding wool this morning. Laurie is at her frame embroidering. She has more talent than I do, but the world of art disdains the crafts. That will change. The wooden floor will challenge me, that worn patina, creaking boards, the stains, their story, and the roof beams are just as tricky. But the trinity of women at the window will be the focus. Morning light is a gift, it picks them out as in an icon. Though the walls are dark, I'll catch that chair in the mirror's musing. They can hear their younger brother playing his violin in the room above. Mother's foot is tapping as she reads Ibsen to them and an essay by Carlyle. Tonight we'll write to Alice and to James about our day. Hush, you're tired, my little one, though you resist a nap. I know you want to linger with your older cousins. They'll amuse you later when you waken. Now that the sun has slipped round to the south, you'll have a scumbly snooze kit in softer light. St Christopher is watching over you, the Firth of Forth and Fields of Fife, a lying like a landscape painted by your Uncle Jack. Your puppy is already asleep, so curry in, listen to the dooms at the open window, gently cooing, hushing you to sleep. Spring moonlight. Once the day's work is done, we can relax, enjoy each other's company. How the women love to dance, to play for each other, burl with their babies. I must catch the enchantment of this moment, moonlight shimmering the firth, softly patterning the floor, the glow from the fire, lighting the swirling dress, their faces, that chubby little arm, and the shaded candles that cast an aureole around the flowers and gleam the table. The central halo, the tulips and the child, will hold the eye at the RA. They will see our great hall at its loveliest, 
that one last cuddle before sleep. Our girls are so light upon their feet I could almost give them wings. Now I must rest. I've worked all through the night to finish this one, to get it right. Lullaby. It's good of you to bring wee Thomas to my studio, since everything I need is at my hand. And even though the light is perfect for a painter, you think of him. Shield his eyes. Lift the curtain gently. You look serene, Nana, and so devoted. Your lullabies have soothed each of the babies, all four of them, even on their trips across the ocean. To us, you're like another sister. I want this painting to be good enough for the Paris Salon, for textures to be true, that fleshy knee and sleepy arm, the silk cover, the drapes, and that fur rug. I only wish I had the skill of doer. I'll redo quickly that glow upon the floorboards, for any minute now the clock will chime, Tom will stir, and the magic will be broken. I think at last I am resigned to the fact that this will be the only cradle I will rock. The identities of several people in these frames have been written about in family letters. In A Peaceful Art, John Henry's mother reads aloud by the window while her youngest daughter Louise makes a stitch on a piece of framed fabric and her eldest daughter Laurie embroiders a bedspread. John Henry's mother also seems to feature in Potpourri. She may be accompanied by the middle Lorimer daughter Alice, who could be the woman with dark hair. The young girls could be Alice's daughters Elsie and Hannah, who was known as Nan. In 1889, when the painting was created, Elsie was five and Nan was seven. The painting is set in the dining room at Kelly. Hush is also set at Kelly, over in the southeast tower. The woman is my great-grandmother, Violet Wilde, wife of Robert Lorimer, and the baby is my grandfather, Christopher. Following Christopher's birth on the 22nd of December, 1904, Robert wrote a joyous letter to his great friend and fellow architect, Robin Dodds. Christmas Day, 1904. Dear boy, your letter of about mid-October was joyfully received a few weeks back and now, oh, sing with me a seven fools chorus of hallelujahs and harping symphonies for Christopher has arrived safely. Did so the other evening on the 22nd. A splendid 11-pound boy with a head of hair and most draftsman-like hands. Fine long fingers and beautiful square nails, like what your nails used to be. It's a pretty awful few hours for a husband, but I've been blessing the convenience of modern life. I had the telephone installed in the house a few weeks ago and can't tell you what a blessing it was. We rang up the dock. She phoned to exactly how matters stood. He told her exactly what to do and that he would be along in half an hour. You can picture me wandering about the house going up and down the stairs, stopping to have a look at a brass dish or some of the china in the drawing room, and finally being brought up short, feeling like a sort of flood rushing all through me, when at last one heard the most delicious wee sound emerging from Vi's room. 
Since then, everything has gone well. Fai lies there looking very calm and happy, and the wee man is beginning now to get his natural nourishment. He's almost too big already for his cradle. An angel at the foot, a pelican at the head post, and the cradle part shaped a little and just dovetailed at the corners. I don't think I've much other news. Things hum along in the office all night. I've now got a staff of seven, and they always seem to have their noses at it, so I suppose there must be a good deal of work in the place. The last few days this phone by my writing table has been a joy as Matthew reads me the letters, and I dictate the replies, and send messages, and every sort of thing. You mustn't mind this being a short letter. I've such shoals to write. Your RSL. The letter, which is displayed with a few others, features a sketch for the cot Robert designed for Christopher, his first child. The pelican is considered a symbol of a mother's ability to make sacrifices for her young. Along with the angel, the pelican may have been carved by the brothers William and Alexander Clough, both of which worked for Robert for 25 years. John Henry came up with the idea for the painting Spring Moonlight while he was painting the portrait of Sir Graham Montgomery in 1896 at Stobo Castle. There, he saw a girl dancing with her baby, a moment that he sought to capture in Spring Moonlight. The setting for the painting is the Great Hall of Kelly, where the Lorimer family spent many evenings playing and listening to music. Spring Moonlight was completed in around two months, just in time to be sent to the Royal Academy in London. In March 1897, John Henry's mother wrote to Laurie. You will be rejoiced to hear that J.H. did send in his picture. When Bob saw it with only five days left, he took the view it was absolutely impossible and said so. Adamson was quite eloquent about Jock being up whole nights and Willie Wheeler, passing to his work soon after five in the morning, still saw the light and said to him, does Mr John never go to his bed at all? Willie Wheeler was the local joiner. Until the arrival of the Lorimers at Kelly, he mainly made wheels for farm carts or carriages, but when Professor Lorimer commissioned him to make furniture, he seized the opportunity. He went on to export his furniture to India, Australia and various countries across Africa. Many of his pieces were collaborations with Robert, including the chair displayed here, which features in Grandmother's Birthday. In 1898, Robert wrote in one of his many letters to Robin Dodds, For years I've been trying to find armchairs with cane backs and stuffed seats as I never can find them. I'm guessing we are to make some. Taking a lot of trouble over them and think they ought to be nice. Robert also frequently wrote to Alice, especially while she lived in Guyana. In 1884, he wrote, I do hope we'll see you at Kelly early next summer. It would be awfully jolly, for Kelly just wants a lot of little kids scampering about to make it perfect. Alice's two eldest children, Patrick and Nan, are thought to feature in the birthday party and the professor's grandchildren. Both children, along with their four brothers and sisters, were looked after by Joanna Herbert, the woman at the centre of Lullaby. The baby is their brother, Thomas Michael Chalmers, the version displayed here is a copy. The original is at the National Gallery of Victoria in Melbourne. Lullaby was the first painting John Henry sent to the Salon in Paris, where it was awarded a gold medal. It was also displayed at the Royal Academy in London, accompanied by a verse by Walter Scott. Oh, hush thee, my baby. 
Thy sire was a knight, thy mother a lady both lovely and bright. The woods and the glens from the hills which we see, they all are belonging, dear baby, to thee. Oh, hush thee, my baby, the time will come soon when thy sleep shall be broken by trumpet and drum. Then hush thee, my darling, take rest while you may, for strife comes with manhood and waking with day. Lullaby is one of four paintings to feature Joanna Herbert, who was born in Guyana. Her ancestors are thought to have come from Sierra Leone, home to the Mende tribe. The youngest of Alice's children, Esther, wrote that her nanny, Joanna Herbert, had high cheekbones, the dignified bearing of a Mende warrior. Her hair she twisted into a neat bun, and she wore scorning caps or bonnets into town, befeathered on Sundays. Head ties she considered low class and never wore, except under protest, to please Uncle John when he painted her in his genre paintings. Her mother had been born into slavery and raped by some white man. The baby left to go through life in the dark shadow of illegitimacy. Not that these far-off happenings ruffled Nana's dignified calm as a rule, One of the blessed, Joanna Herbert, our dearly loved Nana, was a magnet for friendship, above and below stairs alike. On her many Atlantic crossings, the stewards were her friends before ever the ship weighed anchor, their pantries hers for the needs of the current baby. Nor did the anguish of seasickness ever make her neglect her charges. Esther's sister Nan also wrote about Joanna Herbert, who she called Nana. Nana used to tell us stories of Briar Rabbit and a Nancy Spider and the Owl Dog that howled at night. She sang Creole songs to us and made many voyages across the Atlantic. When she was no longer needed as nurse, she mended and laundered small articles and when she had a garden, made all the jams and jellies and also delicious cacao nut tablet. She was very religious and went to church regularly. She read the Bible and wrote letters to her relations. In her sixties, she began to get restless and wanted to see her old home and her nieces. So Mother arranged a passage, and we all went to Glasgow to put her on board with a packing case full of all the bits and pieces she had collected over the years for her cottage to be. She wrote to us regularly, and from the first we saw she was not happy. After about a year, we wrote, Would you like to come back? By return of post, she said, Oh yes, there is a very good boat going in March. So back she came and resided down in the old ways. It is worth noting that Alice and her family only met and knew Joanna as a result of the British Empire, of which slavery was an inherent part, especially within early colonies. It is also worth noting that Esther made a point of tracing the family's abhorrence of slavery back to John Henry's great-grandfather, Robert Stoddart, who worked as an engineer in Tobago. Esther wrote in her family history a gaggle of grandparents that... Two things soon drove Robert from the island. Lucrative though it was. Constant attacks of fever, 
hatred of slavery, of which he saw too much at first hand. Robert Stoddart went on to apprentice to a piano maker in London. In 1775, he set up his own piano making firm, through which he patented the first upright piano. A love of music passed down the generations to John Henry's mother, the woman at the head of the table in grandmother's birthday. The painting, which was also called Evening, was inspired by a christening for her grandson, James Lorimer Chalmers, known as Giacco, who can be seen in the corner, held by Joanna. The children were modelled by various friends and neighbours, including Maud, Lorna, Flo, Ruth, Marion and Dolly. When the painting was displayed in London in 1894, it prompted a curious review in the Times. It is difficult to interpret Mr J. H. Lodimer's cleverly painted evening, a tea party of a dozen solemn-looking children. In response to this review, John Henry's mother wrote a ferocious letter to Alice. The enclosed will vex and outrage you, as it has done us all. Have the blind bats never heard of a children's party, of a gathering of children not necessarily of the same family? Oh, it is too stupid and loathsome. I feel it awfully for my dear strenuous son, and a little for all the kind friends who lent their children. So glad you and Louise are to be with J.H. to cheer him up. Of course, I don't believe the French, with all their nudities, would have been so base and insensate. If one generous man or woman who has given a few quiet minutes to the picture would write a few words, the tide might turn. The tide certainly did turn when the painting was displayed in Paris. It became the first painting by a Scottish artist to be bought by the French government. Grandmother's Birthday, also known as Benedict, is the inspiration for our final poem by Christine de Luca. Grandmother's Birthday, Le Benedict. I want to mark a special anniversary, Mother's 60th. She'll say it's not her party, but for her grandchildren and their friends. For once, it's in the dining room, not the nursery. I think an empty chair, one designed by Robbie, will symbolise her loss since the prof died. And Nana, with Jaco, newly christened, must be there. They are all so well behaved at table, all but one has eyes closed for grace. It's dismal outside, and with the darkly painted walls, candlelight is warm. Almost beatific on their radiant faces, illumines the little cherub on the plasterwork. The parrot would have loved the party, but Mother disapproves. He would have strutted back and forth on his perch, mimicking the children, begging tidbits. Cook has come up trumps. She's baked meringues and buns and made a sponge. There's grapes to share. Louise has arranged dried flowers. It's all so lovely. I don't know if the RA will exhibit it, but maybe the Paris Salon will tolerate its domesticity, though it flies in the face of French Impressionism. I will ask Laurie what she thinks. I'm never sure. The purchase of Grandmother's birthday by the French government almost earned John Henry the Légion d'honneur, the highest accolade for a painter at the time. 
he was unable to accept the medal due to various British regulations around foreign honours in the arts. Such a grievance, combined with his disappointment at not being elected to the Royal Academy in London, is likely to have contributed to the self-doubt of his later years. Even so, he never stopped valuing the beauty he saw before him, never stopped striving to tell the stories of the people he loved, never stopped reflecting the light of the place he called home. In one of her final letters, his mother wrote her son words that we hope brought him strength and solace. You have had, in many ways, a very good year, and look like it. So young and happy, finding such joy in things great and small, that the Almighty is always providing for those who see. I feel confident that you must soon be relieved from anxiety. Meantime, your attitude is noble, and you can and do lead the simple life. And if the world has not yet made you rich, you have the deep satisfaction of knowing that you are one of those favoured ones who make the world rich. The audio guide for Reflections, The Light and Life of John Henry Lorimer was presented and produced by Charlotte Lorimer and recorded with the help of Athel Fraser. A big thank you to all the actors who have contributed to this project. Clive Russell, George Lorimer, Ed Wade, Natasha Yobbs and Sarah Haynes. Thank you also to Christine DeLuca for her 12 original poems. I would also like to thank Mae Fenway and Esther Chalmers for their extensive archival work, preserved at the Centre for Research Collections and National Library of Scotland.